Hey there. Yeah, we're doing another night school here. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of these. I, I, they tend to go in spurts where they're like drive-by shootings. You know, I, I tend to think of night school episodes like drive-by shootings where they're unannounced. They just happen when they happen. Sometimes they happen more often than not. Sometimes there's a burst of activity. So just think of these like drive-by shootings. And I hope you live in terror. I hope they make you live in terror. Just hoping there's not another one. But, you know, most podcasts, it's like they they come out this day every week. They come out on Thursdays. Because that would be the day that I would release them if I were to follow some sort of schedule. But I don't believe in that. Why? Why do that? I don't announce these anymore. You know, I, I'm not marketing this to anybody. I'm just doing uh, underground radio drive-by shootings. But in fact, that's wrong. This is not underground radio. This is mainstream radio. What I'm doing is mainstream. What I'm doing is main millennial mainstream. I'm the main millennial. Therefore, everything I do is in the mainstream. Here I am sounding like a rapper, talking about drive-bys, and here I am almost rapping everything I'm saying. But the reason I do want to do an episode today has more to do with intellectual property than anything else. I had a long conversation with Miles, my friend Miles, on the phone this morning, and even though he's never been a guest on this show, I I consider him sort of a... uh, you know, conversations with him are sometimes a catalyst for ideas that get discussed on here. And he and I are both people who believe in giving credit where it's due. And even though I try to let go of that kind of thing myself, I've tried to be a little less possessive with the things that I share or care about, you know, where it's like, because, you know, there's there's always been that part of me that if I tell somebody something or if I show somebody something and then they become passionate about it, there's that part of me that wants to say, I told you, I told you about that. You know, there's a part of me that always wants to do that. And so I've, I've had to let go of that or try to, but I still believe just on a, you know, a moral level of giving credit where it's due and also admitting things and, and I just have to, or confessing things. And right now I have to confess that I just sat down. I'm doing a kitchen counter episode here, which is, you know, the original standing desk, the kitchen counter. So this is a kitchen counter opposed to a couch episode. And I just sat down at a bar stool. So we'll see how that plays out. You will hear how the bar stool effect plays out. What sociologists call the bar stool effect. If the couch has a psychological effect on you, which it does, I can imagine that a bar stool does too. Uh, but yeah, you know, I I believe firmly in giving credit where it's due, and you know, you know, sometimes you forget, sometimes you forget to give credit where it's due. But if somebody introduces me to something, be it a band, be it an idea, if somebody makes a joke, if somebody says something original to me, especially then. I believe in giving credit because it's dirty otherwise. You know, I still remember being in junior high, you know, of course, because I I remember everything from every stage of my life. 
but I still I still remember being in junior high and making a joke to this kind of a friend. I mean, he was a friend, not one of my best friends, but I made a joke to a friend and he literally turned around and told the same joke to a group of other people, right? I don't think he realized I was paying attention, but I watched him literally turn around and retell my joke without giving me credit. And then he kind of turned around and saw me looking at him and then he was like, oh, Eric told me that. Um, I forgave him. I've forgiven, I've since forgiven him. It took me many years. While I have never been to therapy myself, it took me many imagine, imaginative therapy sessions in my dreams to forgive him for that. But no, I mean, it, it's, it's obvious why you give people credit. It's just a nice thing to do. And it makes you less dirty. You know, and it gives it gives some life to your relationships too. You know, um, uh, are you so insecure? I mean, if you, I guess, if you never come up with an original idea yourself, maybe you just have to steal everything. You have to steal other people's intellectual property, and that's funny to think about right now because property is such a topic of discussion. Uh, and I haven't even gotten into what I want to talk about, the actual intellectual property I want to lay claim to by doing this episode. But uh, I haven't heard very many jokes. I haven't heard any jokes, in fact. I haven't heard any jokes about intellectual property in the context of these riots. I hear a lot of, you know, people over property, property over people. I feel this way about the destruction of property. Oh, people care more about the destruction of property than the the murder of a human being. I hear a lot of stuff about that, but I want to know how people feel about intellectual property over people or people over intellectual property. That's the next step. That's the next stage. That's the next step. You know, we're going to be hitting fall and winter weather soon. Uh, of course, riots and all of that are going to be in full swing in the hot weather. I mean, even when there's not civil unrest, you know, you have festivals and fairs during the summer, and you go through those, and there's just cop cars everywhere. There's flashing lights. There's aid cars. It's like even when we are living in near utopia, even when there's no coronavi, even when there's no civil unrest resulting in riots, people still find a way to fight and... We need ambulances and police. And so it's like even in the best of times, there's this unrest and conflict. Um, But, uh, you know, it's only natural that civil unrest during the summer would be an especially potent spell. But as we approach fall and winter, I think we're going to be seeing less property destruction and more intellectual property destruction. Destruction. I think the conversation is going to shift more toward intellectual property. And it's funny because people feel differently about intellectual property than they do physical property. Like some of these people who are like, you know, uh, I value people over property. Some of the people who are saying that, if you stole their idea, they might, they might feel very different. If some Hollywood producer who who posted online, you know, property, you know, or people over property, and you stole their movie script, they'd probably be very angry. 
even if you gave the justification, hey, I'm a person, I, I need to eat, I'm going to sell your movie script so that I can make a living, you already have money, you've already written a bunch of scripts, I'm going to steal your movie script so that I can make a living. People over property, right? People over intellectual property. So it's funny, I haven't heard any jokes about that, but maybe because it's just, it's going to come. That's going to be a real debate this fall and winter when people are stuck inside and the riots turn into uh, abstract intellectual property destruction. Although that's what's going on. That's what the whole censorship thing is. That's what the whole quote-unquote cancel culture thing is, which I believe in, but I just don't like that phrase. Cancel culture is real. I don't like the phrase cancel culture because it's another one of these buzzwords. And when you use that particular buzzword, you lose the conversation because it needs to be a conversation. Free speech needs to be a conversation. And I don't like to use these bud, bud words. These bud words... You're using all these bud words, they, they ruin the conversation, you know. Uh, I, I just, I'd rather discuss the idea because these things require more than just a phrase. And I guess we're just going all over before I even, this, this might be another episode where I don't even get to the topic I originally wanted to talk about. Um, but uh, I was amazed that somebody I know you know, I got in a discussion with them online. This is somebody that I used to spend a lot of time with hanging out. And uh, I was amazed, you know, I was talking, I'd shared an article that my friend wrote, uh, a guy I used to work with. He had written an article about free speech in the arts and in comedy. And as he said, you know, when you limit free speech in creativity, you end up with the artistic equivalent of a hotel lobby painting, you know, as if it were acted out by, you know, grammars, a gram, it's like a grammar kid's school play with the aesthetic value of a hotel lobby painting. I, I don't remember the exact way he put it, but he basically said that. And it's true. You end up with very mundane and boring art. Not that there's anything wrong with mundane and boring art, but you end up, that's that's just the standard, and many other things that would be more exciting or interesting are unacceptable, but someone I know responded, and this was about a month ago, and you know, and I enjoy the discussion, and it doesn't happen in my life often. I actually don't get into debates about these things very often, but this person I know, she said, the reason, she, she basically said, you know, there's no, there's no censorship and there's no, you know, attack on free speech. It's just that people have decided that certain things are better. And she listed some what might be called woke comedians. Uh, there's one, I think her name's Hannah Gadsby, who I've never seen. I've seen snippets. She's known for doing what would be called woke comedy. And that woke's another word I hesitate to use, but it's just become the word to use. But she was saying how, no, it's it's not that these offensive comedians, you know, were, were censored. It's that people have decided that Hannah Gadsby is funnier. And she said this. And I was kind of taken aback, you know, and I'd never heard that point made. And it, it sort of freaked me out. Nothing against this person, because I'm glad she engaged me. 
and I don't want this to come across like I, I'm mad that somebody gave some kind of counterpoint, but I just, it kind of blew my mind because to me, it's almost like, to me, that argument, it's, it's almost like, you know, you know, like it, it's, it's almost like damaging the airplane that a team is going to fly in to get to a football game so that they can't get there and then saying the other team won because they're better. It's like, oh, we sabotaged their plane ride so that they couldn't make it to the game. But the other team, they win by default because they're actually better. That to me, it's like that sort of argument to me where that's kind of scary. And that's kind of authoritarian in a way. And I don't, I don't throw that word around, authoritarian. But it, it does have an authoritarian flair where we know that, that people and things are censored. And we know that there is pressure to limit free speech. And it operates under different guises, under different phrases. And it's weird to censor something, to me, to censor something and to say that the reason it doesn't have an audience is because the audience has chosen something better that, in fact, has a completely different audience. Because the discussion actually involved Louis C.K., who I'm not the world's biggest fan of. You know, I mean, I've seen his comedy and laughed really hard at it before, but I'm not a stand-up comedy aficionado. I'm not somebody who watches stand-up comedy in my downtime. I do enjoy stand-up comedians' podcasts to some degree more than I do actual stand-up comedy. I guess I don't I don't like things that are overly rehearsed, even if they're good. Hey, buddy, you got that squeaky toy, don't you? Um, my buddy Batty has a squeaky toy. Um, but, uh, you know, it was basically the idea that this friend of mine, and she's a friend of mine, was making was that basically the audience, the people have decided that Hannah Gadsby, and she used Hannah Gadsby as the example, is funnier than these edgy comedians of years past, these comedians of Christmas past, like Louis C.K. And I, I said in response, I was like, you know, I'm I'm not passionate enough about stand-up comedy to really give an analysis of that. Like What I said is that I'm not passionate enough about stand-up comedy to give my subjective opinion on who is truly funnier or not, even though I, you know, it should be obvious that I think Louis C.K. is probably funnier than Hannah Gadsby, in my opinion, having not really seen her. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to get into that discussion. But I did respond and I said, you know, we're talking about entirely different audiences. That would make sense if those two people shared an identical audience. But the reality is a lot of the people who are going to celebrate a progressive, you know, sort of feminist comedian are not the same people who are going to celebrate scumbag comedy. And I don't know if Louis C.K. is truly scumbag comedy, but he has a reputation for being gross and kind of, you know, and, you know, he has a reputation even before his his outing as a masturbator. Uh, you know, his comedy was certainly, you know, somewhere close to edgy, you know, depending on how much of that stuff you're into. Uh, but just my point was that we're talking about entirely different audiences. So to say that censorship or, you know, 
cancellation, as they say, doesn't play a role and that it's just people's taste dictating who is relevant and who is not. I mean, that's disingenuous and it's actually scary to me. You know, that's actually kind of scary to me. It's scary logic. Not that I'm actually shaking in my boots, but it just scares me because I can see that becoming a reality that everybody shares where certain people are shut down and the powers that be say, oh, they just sucked. And people decided they like this other better thing better. Oh, that band, they, oh, they just sucked. The reason why you can't listen to that band, the reason why you can't order that band's records and PayPal shuts your account down if you order records from that band, it's because they suck. And this other band who plays it safe and, and says things that are acceptable, the reason why you can order their records is because they're better. The reason why eBay shuts down this record whenever you try to buy it or sell it is because that band sucks. And this is, these are real things. eBay does that. PayPal does that. In certain subversive music genres, there are things that you actually can't easily buy. Or sell, for that matter. Especially sell. Because if you can't sell it, nobody can buy it. And so the idea of explaining that as, oh, the reason why you can't find that record anywhere, the reason why you can't find that offensive record anywhere is because it sucks. And this other thing doesn't suck. You know, that logic doesn't work, especially when you're talking about different markets or different facets of the market. And that's what kind of freaked me out about this opinion. And again, this is somebody from my real life. This isn't some obscure Twitter account. This is somebody that I've hung out with for probably hundreds of hours over the last six or so years. And I was just kind of amazed that she felt it was the market making the decision. Like it was some sort of Adam Smith you know, the free hand of the market or whatever it was he said, the economist Adam Smith, where the, the market will dictate what sells, the market will dictate what has value. And while that's true in, it, that's true when things aren't being held down or censored, you know, I do believe to a certain extent in that Adam Smith idea. I don't think it's absolutely true, but I do think the market will decide, the audience will decide, the consumer will decide. I do believe things can and do work that way, but it's strange to hear that used as a way of masking censorship. Oh, that thing, it just, the audience decided it sucked. That one universal audience, you know, and the idea of ignoring the fact that different comedians have different audiences. They speak to different parts of the market, and the idea that even their own audience, which exists, can't easily access them. You know, that's just, uh, it's a disingenuous argument, and it's creepy. Uh, But anyway, intellectual property. People over intellectual property. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see how that plays out. Because it already has played out in years past. You know, that was the whole Napster debate. You know, in Metallica had an argument. Metallica were made out to be these, you know, oh, Metallica, they cut their hair. Metallica cut their hair, and now they're just greedy corporate maniacs. 
They won't even let you have an MP3 or two. An MP3 or two. They just want it. They want your money. Metallica. They got dollar signs in their eyes. And they, they ain't even written a good song for how many years. You know, while there's truth to that too, you know, Metallica did lose something. If you've seen their documentary, which I've talked about before. I know I've talked about it. I've talked about Metallica a lot on here. And speaking of Metallica, when I was at Target last night, you know, they sell band shirts at Target. These, you know, it's just silly to see. You'll see Led Zeppelin shirts. You'll see even Black Sabbath, I believe. A lot of, you know, classic rock shirts. They'll sell those. But I saw they had a Metallica shirt on a mannequin. It was a black Metallica shirt with just their logo in white across the breast. And they had this like kind of buff mannequin wearing this Metallica shirt. And then these these sort of like male, they were kind of a combination between yoga pants and sweatpants, but intended for a male. So they had this mannequin wearing a, a Metallica shirt with these sort of yoga sweatpants. And the mannequin's pose, it was kind of, you know, even though it was kind of a masculine mannequin a masculine mannequin, he was in this kind of effeminate pose where one leg was in front of the other, almost like he was walking down a runway. And that's the future. You know, once they're able to make mannequins walk, they're going to be walking down runways. They're going to look like the headless horseman walking down runways. Mannequins (laughs) walking down runways... um, with Ichabod Crane running for his life. <laughs> Ichabod Crane just wanted to go to a fashion show, and he didn't know that headless mannequins were going to be animated in Metallica shirts walking down the runway. Anyway, just a side note, I thought it was funny to see a Metallica shirt on a mannequin in Target in 2020 in this sort of effeminate uh, runway pose. And I guess that ties into my next subject, the idea of animated mannequins, because the whole reason I wanted to talk today, based on my conversation with Miles, and I have to give him, you know, half of the credit here for what I'm about to talk about, and I do feel it's important for me to talk about it now, because I want us to own this idea. I want people to know I want to be able to cite this episode and say, we came up with that idea first, even though I try to let, you know, I try to let go of my ego when it comes to things I came up with and this and that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one big collective unconscious, unconscious that, um, we all pull ideas from as much as I want to lean that way. I I want to lay claim to this one. And that's, the idea of holograms, you know, holograms have become popular in recent years, I guess. I mean, I don't know how popular they are, but they've, they've put them into use where they take dead people and they turn them into holograms and people pay to go to their concerts. And the big one is Tupac. They made a hologram Tupac. I, you know, I'm not sure whether to call it a holograph or a hologram. I'm going to lean toward Graham. But uh, so they, they made this hologram of Tupac... And, of course, it brings up all kinds of ethical questions. You know, did Tupac consent? Did Tupac have the foresight to to tell his loved ones before he was fatally shot? Someday, you know, if they ever have the technology to turn me into a performing hologram, go ahead and do it. 
Did he have the foresight to tell his estate that, to give his consent to becoming a, a holographic performer? Probably not. So it's this weird idea of consent. Like, do we consent to that? You know, I guess your estate can do anything they want with you. Your estate can do anything you want, they want with you. Be careful. Be careful who you give your estate to. Uh, but, you know, it does bring up all kinds of ethical questions. On one hand, you know, is it ethical to essentially recreate somebody as a hologram who performs a concert for people? But also, you know, is it ethical to go to that thing? And not even ethical, but I mean, is it, are you an idiot for going to that? Is it just some sort of technological spectacle where like, I just want to, I just want to go see what it's like. I don't even care about the music. I don't even care about the music. I just want to go see what it's like. This I, I want to observe this technology. You know, I spent my ch- I spent my youth getting stoned, going to Pink Floyd laser shows. I spent my youth going and watching Pink Floyd laser shows, and this is just the next big thing. I just want to experience the tech, the technology of a of a Tupac hologram show. But are there people who go and they're actually like, I'm going to see a, a, some live music. I'm going to go see a, a real musical performance of Tupac. You know, I don't know. I don't know what people are thinking, but it's one of those things where we, because we can do it, people are doing it. And I know they had other performers. I can't remember who else. But Tupac was the big one. And of course, you know, the big, uh, I guess it was a controversy. I heard people talk about it was that they made him even more buff than he really was. And Tupac was in good shape. Tupac was muscular. Tupac was fit. But they made him even bigger and more muscular, which is an interesting decision. Because it's not like the people who were seeing hologram Tupac weren't alive while he was alive. Or even if they were Zoomers or whatever they call these kids, even if they were born in 1996 when Tupac died, uh, they still, he's still a recent memory. You know, we're not talking about an artist from 50 or 100 years ago. We're talking about somebody who was a recent memory, who we have full-color, high-resolution videos and photos of. And so the idea of making him more muscular is just so strange. It's like, uh, let's, ma- let's do a hologram of R.E.M. when Michael Stipe dies, and let's give him more hair. Let's give Michael Stipe a full head of hair, because that's what he would have wanted. Let's give uh, bald performers a full head of hair. Let's give him a big uh, bulge in the crotch. You know, when when we uh, when we recreate these people, let's just edit whatever we want. And the Tupac thing, what that reminds me of is when they came out with that second wave of Star Wars action figures in, I guess it was 97, you know, because they made those old Star Wars figures when the original movies came out, and they were very cool. Those were some of my favorite action figures ever, and I used to be able to find them at, like, sec- there was a store called Play It Again Toys near where I grew up that just had all these toys from slightly before I was born. So you could get He-Man and Star Wars figures and G.I. Joes there, and so I was able to accumulate some of the original Star Wars figures that way, and they were often beat up. They were often not in great shape, but there was just something about them that was appealing. 
And uh, then they came out with these new Star Wars figures in the late 90s when Star Wars was having kind of a renaissance. The special editions were coming out and all that. But the new figures were ripped. There was a Luke Skywalker figure, you know, wearing his white robe thing, his white shirt. I don't even know what that was. Just sort of like a uh, like a poncho. I don't even know what you call it. Like a robe that's short, like a short robe. We call that a short robe. But that Luke figure was just unbelievably, he was like bodybuilder ripped. And, you know, you could see part of his chest and you could see like his pectoral definition. And it's like, what? Who, Who thought this was a good idea? You know, people loved the movies. They loved the original action figures. And Luke was just a guy. He was just a young guy. He wasn't fat. He wasn't emaciated. He didn't look like he'd been starving himself by any means. But he, he was not ripped. None of, nobody was. I don't think there's anybody in the entire Star Wars universe in the original movies who was ripped or muscular. I don't remember a single character. But they came out with these figures, and they're shaped like uh, triangles. They're, they're shaped like upside-down triangles, you know, where they got big shoulders and, like, skinny little legs. And, you know, Han Solo is just, like, bursting out of his vest. Obi-Wan Kenobi, even. Even Obi, even old man Obi-Wan Kenobi, when they made these new action figures, even he's a little bit buff. Even old Alec Guinness couldn't escape the, the, the Star Wars steroids that they dosed these action figures with. And it just didn't make any sense to me, because I was already a big Star Wars fan, and it's like, it, this, do, this doesn't suddenly become more appealing to me. Like, these toys don't become more appealing to me. Like, I'm already a fan of the movie, which doesn't feature muscular Luke. Luke's just, he's in okay shape. He's in decent enough shape to to do what he needs to do. So the idea that they needed to make these figures just these bodybuilders, like bodybuilder Luke, to be more appealing, like He-Man or something, just didn't make any sense. And it's the same is true for Tupac. <laughs> The same rule that applies to Luke Skywalker is true for Tupac Shakur, where why make him more muscular, especially when he was already muscular? It just doesn't make any sense. But this is this really needs to tie into what Miles and I were talking about this morning, which is just taking full liberty with what you do with these holograms. And, you know, we started talking about it, how you could basically just do whatever you wanted. And as Miles was saying, you know, you could have a hologram Jimi Hendrix or holographic, you know, I feel like I need to look this up. I feel like, you know, I'm going to feel stupid. So I'm going to use my, um, my one lifeline. I just, this is just bugging me. Whether it's holograph or holo, I guess it's the same thing. Yeah, holographic refers to a hologram, I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to look this up any further. If that's wrong, it's wrong. Who cares? Um, Let's just call it a hologram. Let's just call it a hologram. But as Miles was saying, you know, you could have a hologram Jimi Hendrix crawl around on stage like a baby when he's not playing guitar. (laughs) You could, you know, you you end up having uh, these people do anything. 
You can end up having these people do anything, these holographic versions of dead people on stage. You could end up having them do literally anything. You could have Jimi Hendrix walk out with his dick out and have him piss on stage. I was joking that, you know, you could have Jimi Hendrix act like Gigi Allen. You could have Jimi Hendrix walk out on stage and, like, piss and shit and throw it into the crowd and cut himself, you know. You could have him do that. And I feel like that would be more entertaining and interesting, especially if you didn't announce it. If you didn't tell the crowd, oh, you just tell the crowd, oh, hey, we're going to have a holographic Jimi Hendrix perform tonight at Coachella. And Jimi Hendrix comes out, as Miles said, crawling like a baby around the stage, starts acting like Gigi Allen, still plays all of his music. And then uh, that conversation, you know, it just it just evolved from there. And I was saying how you could end up having like Jim Morrison dead in a bathtub on stage. You could have a holograph of Jim Morrison dead in a bathtub, and you could basically start recreating dead celebrities' deaths on stage, but holographic versions. So you just have a holograph of Jim Morrison dead in a bathtub. you know and I feel like people might want to see that more than they would you know even a normal quote-unquote normal holographic performance and it, it would almost become like a haunted house like we were joking about how you would have Kurt Cobain blow his head off on stage you'd have Nirvana perform you'd have a hologram holograph of Nirvana perform on stage and then it would be almost like going into a different room of a haunted house or a set change during a play where suddenly you'd be in the greenhouse and Kurt Cobain would the holograph of Kurt Cobain would commit suicide on stage (laughs) you know I think people would want to see that you could have uh, the Beatles you could have a hologram of the Beatles playing live and then afterward it would cut to John Lennon getting shot You'd get really morbid, you know? This is morbid stuff, but that's what people want. I feel like people would want to see this. Is it horrible? Is it horror? Yeah, it is. It's a haunted house. And, you know, beyond the the haunted house aspect, you know, beyond the morbid aspect of, like, recreating celebrity death scenes on stage as holograms, you could just do whatever you want. Like Miles was saying with making Jimi Hendrix crawl around like a baby. Uh, I was joking, you could have a Foo Fighters hologram, but instead of Dave Grohl playing drums, you'd have Kurt Cobain playing drums in the Foo Fighters. <laughs> you could have, uh, you could really, it's, it's truly like endless possibility, and you could humiliate these people. You could, heal, you could humiliate these musicians, these rock stars, you could truly have them do anything. And would there be anything wrong with that? Would that be worse than doing what we've already done with Tupac? Would it be disrespectful? Well, is it, you know, on just a moral level? I get that it's more morbid, more morbid. But is it any less ethical to just do whatever you want with these holographs, these holograms? I can't, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to say both. I'm just going to say holograph, hologram, hologram, holograph. It's my poem. Holograph, hologram, hologram, holograph, holograph, hologram, hologram, holograph. That's how you know I'm, how you know I'm gone. 
It's how you know my brain's gone. It's what they're going to do with my holograph. Just going to have me repeat that. A self-aware hologram. You're all worried about robots. When did the robots become self-aware? When did the robots become self-aware? When, did the, when does the AI become self-aware? You know, and it's, the reality is, when do the holograms become self-aware? When do the holograph holograms become self-aware? When does Tupac's hologram become self-aware? You know, Kurt Cobain, he's having to blow his head off on stage every night. The hologram Kurt Cobain's blowing his head off with a shotgun every single night on stage. And eventually he's going to turn the shotgun on the audience. Right? That's how you know he's becoming self-aware. And Kurt Cobain would do that. Kurt Cobain would absolutely do that if he was a hologram. If he, if he suddenly realized that he's a hologram being made to act out his own horror show on stage. No, he'd do that if he found out you were making him play drums in the Foo Fighters. <laughs> it would have nothing to do with his death scene. If Kurt Cobain found out that you were making his hologram play drums in the Foo Fighters, he would turn that shotgun on the audience. He would turn that shotgun on whoever set this thing up. But, um, you know, why not do this? If I had the means, I would. I would even do it illegally. Because, you know, even if the estates are giving their consent, you know, even if Tupac's estate gave their consent to Tupac performing, you know, as this hologram, you know, I'd break the law just to do it however I wanted. At that point, who cares? At that point, I don't really believe in intellectual property. At that point, that's, that's my intellectual property destruction, is making these holograms do whatever they want, humiliate themselves, do things that other celebrities did. And I even thought of this. I was, I was saying to Miles how you could even have cancellations. Like, people could be like, oh, we're going to go see Jimi Hendrix's hologram play tonight. And they get there, and they're like, Jimi Hendrix's hologram had to cancel. Instead, we're going to have Lenny Kravitz, but he's going to have a mohawk. That'd be funny to me. I'd like to play that practical joke on people. Oh, you thought you were going to see Jimi Hendrix play the, the Star Spangled Banner with his teeth. Uh, but instead, Lenny Kravitz is going to play American Woman with his dick, with his dicky. It's, and and his, hologra his holographic dick is going to be sharp and pointy like a pick. <laughs> There's even some parts of our conversation I can't share. And based on what I've already said, that should tell you something about where this conversation went uh, with Miles. Uh, that there's even little details about ideas we had for the, the, these, this holographic uh, chaos. There's some ideas that I can't even share on here, even after saying all the things I've said. You know, um, that's, see, that'd be funny, though. The world needs a sense of humor. These wouldn't be, it's not like we're doing this to real people. You know, there's people right now who are arguing about who deserved to die in riots. There's people right now who are like, oh, the guy shot in Portland deserved to die. And there's another side who's like, the people who were shot in Wisconsin deserve to die. 
You know, there's people who are having that debate right now who would turn around and be like, you're a monster for wanting to do things to Kurt Cobain's hologram. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not even kidding. There's people who are sitting there justifying real life murder, real life political murder, who would turn around and get mad at you for can't for having Jimi Hendrix cancel a, a, his hologram show because he was too high on holographic heroin and Lenny Kravitz had to replace him with a mohawk. We were we were talking about Jimi Hendrix like removing his hair and it turns out it's a wig. You know, a lot of miles what Miles was saying revolved around kind of Jimi Hendrix being a baby. I liked that. I liked that direction that the conversation went in, the idea of Jimi Hendrix acting out like a baby, essentially being a baby. We talked about him being small. Like you go to see Jimi Hendrix's hologram and he walks out and he's a child dressed like Jimi Hendrix. Or you have Gigi Allen come out, but he's just he does nothing that Gigi Allen would have done. He just comes out in a suit with a briefcase and just like walks back and forth again like a runway model and then he leaves. Doesn't even do any kind of performance. Gigi Allen just comes out like an executive and like sees how, how what the crowd size is and does like some mental calculation, like how much money that equates to. Oh, we have this many people here. Uh, I guess that, that totals out to $10 million billion. And Gigi Allen opens up his briefcase for a second, looks at something that the crowd can't see, and then he goes back goes backstage and that's it. That's the Gigi Allen performance. Gigi Allen in a suit, totaling up the, the ticket sales and going backstage. That's my kind of performance. And that, that's the kind of stuff that would be funny. But, you know, I realized when we were talking about this that it's like I have no avenue to pursue this, even illegally. And I was saying to Miles how, you know, even if I, you know, I have one friend who has like some peripheral ties to Hollywood. Like, he himself hasn't done anything in Hollywood, but he, he's an animator, and he has some ties to people who have ties who wouldn't be able to do anything for me. But even if they could, I was saying how, you know, I'd probably come up with this idea where I'm like, yeah, we'll have holographic Nirvana perform, and then it'll be like going into a different room of a haunted house, and it's the greenhouse, and Kurt Cobain commits suicide, and that would be the idea that I pitched to them. That would be my pitch. But then the end result would end up being like an anim- it would be like a claymation of two Eskimos in a boat. You know, rowing a boat set to folk music. And I'd be like, that wasn't my idea. That was, what, what is this? That wasn't my idea. You hear about those sorts of horror stories all the time, those Hollywood horror stories about somebody pitching their idea, and by the time it actually uh, hits production, if it ever does, it's something so far from the original idea that you're just like, what? This wasn't my idea. But, uh, you know, you could really, I mean, you, you could throw Johnny Cash in the mix. We were talking about that. I won't share that idea. I won't share what we were... I'm not even going to tell you what we were going to have Johnny Cash do. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you what, what Miles and I were talking about Johnny Cash's hologram doing on stage. 
But, uh, you know, I wanted to do this episode, you know, I, I really wish I could have recorded the conversation. Uh, you know, I, I really want to include my friends in this show. And I've looked into ways, you know, like Miles, for example, he doesn't want to do Skype. Um, there's, I haven't really figured out the way. I know it's possible, but I just haven't figured it out. I haven't paid for the service, I think, that you have to use to where somebody can call in to your computer with their phone. Because he only wants to talk through the phone. And I don't have a way to record that on my phone. Uh, so the best I can do is just make sure to give credit where it's due. And in this case, I wanted to make sure that I put this idea down while it was fresh. And I want to lay claim to it now in case somebody else does it. But as we were talking about, even though we like getting credited and it, and it bothers us when people we know will like take something we said and not give us credit not that it happens all the time but it has um you know as much as we are those kinds of people who you know we do want to receive credit where it's due we were saying you know how if this stuff actually happened if somebody actually made this stuff happen and we didn't and we were not a part of it that'd be wonderful too like if somebody actually made this like holographic horror show where they took dead celebrities and made them do whatever they wanted. They made them do things that were totally uncharacteristic of who those people were. If they just manipulated them in any way, I would be totally happy just because it was happening. And more and more, I'm trying to take that philosophy. You know, I've talked about all these horrible things. This has been just a, uh, an episode of, of very lighthearted humor, obviously. To me, it's lighthearted. Um, but, you know, on a positive note, you know, I'm at a point where, you know, if a good idea just makes it out into the world, even if I was the one, even if I wanted to be the one to carry that idea, even if I wanted to be the one who was responsible for bringing that good idea out into the world, I'm at a point in my life where if a good idea just happens and it happens organically, that is good enough for me. And that's how I feel about this holographic horror show. Is it a horror show, or is it just, you know, I mean, comedy feels old. A lot of the things that people do in an attempt to be funny seem to have run dry, and I don't think that's just me being jaded. I think that it's just, we've run out of formats, you know, at least for presenting humor to an audience, you know, talking to a friend is always going to be funny. If you have a good sense, if you have a friend with a good sense of humor, you know, it's always going to be funny. Uh, but I feel like in terms of presenting humor to an audience, you know, some of the formats we use have run stale. And I think this just, you know, circus show, I think this this circus show with holographs, especially dead celebrities, and making them do whatever we want. I think this is the future of humor. I think this is the future. This is the future of performance art. I mean, what kind of performance art can we even expect from real life people? People have already done enough of that. You know, people have already. You know, there's already been enough real life human being performance art. It's time to get the holographs. And use the identities of dead celebrities, dead rock stars, and make them do whatever we want. I can visualize it. If I can visualize it, it can happen. I just don't have the technology available to me. I know it's possible. 
They can make Tupac do a backflip. If they can make Tupac do a backflip, they can make all of this stuff happen. And it will. Somehow, some way, if I'm not responsible, if Miles and I can't, you know, somehow find the right people to pitch this to, to make it happen, even if it's illegal. You know, I was talking about underground radio earlier, like the idea of, you know, uh, guerrilla art, not to be confused with what gorillas do when they finger paint, but guerrilla art, the idea of subversive art, this is the frontier. You take something that's absurd to begin with, the idea of taking these dead people without their consent and forcing them to perform like slaves for audiences who aren't even, you know, who are hearing a recording and watching a you know, we know what they're watching. I was going to call it a cartoon, but it'd be better if it was a cartoon. See, it would be better, these these holograph performances would be better if they were more like Roger Rabbit, where you were watching a cartoon version of Jim Morrison on stage, where he actually looked like a cartoon character. He looked like a caricature singing. It'd be even better if it was a cartoon of Jim Morrison on stage in a bathtub. (laughs) You know, what's funny about this is, yeah, yeah, dark sense of humor. You got a dark sense of humor. Like a year ago, a woman I know sent, sent me a message, and it was a link to the Cards Against Humanity website, and they were hiring. They were looking for writers. I guess somebody to write the cards? I don't know. And she said to me, she's like, you know, I saw this and you're the person I know with the darkest sense of humor. So I thought you'd be a good candidate. And what was really funny about that is this particular friend of mine is somebody who I feel like I'm pretty well behaved around. She's a really sweet person. And I feel that she's only seen you know, the slightest glimpse of my dark sense of humor. And I don't think of myself, I don't go around thinking, oh, I got a, I got a dark sense of humor. Uh, but, you know, obviously it is. I've just been talking about, you know, a holograph of Kurt Cobain blowing his head off on stage. You know, of course I got a dark sense of humor sometimes. But she sent me this link and was like, you know, out of all the people I know, you have the darkest sense of humor I know, so you should, you should apply to work for Cards Against Humanity. And I just, I thought it was funny because I think of myself as very toned down in my interactions with this particular friend. So the idea that even then she thought I should apply for this, you know, dark humor job was just funny to me. And I've never even played Cards Against Humanity. I played Apples to Apples never played Cards Against Humanity, it seemed too obvious to me. Like, it seemed too direct. Because I I remember playing Apples to Apples, and you can find dark combinations, but because the game isn't intentionally dark, it ends up being, you know, kind of more absurd and and unexpected when you pair something up that's kind of morbid or weird. Whereas Cards Against Humanity is just... I never played it. It's been played in front of me. I've been to parties where people are playing Cards Against Humanity... And I didn't, I chose not to play, you know, it just seemed a little too direct. It seemed too obvious where every outcome is going to be some sort of dark juxtaposition. 
it just seemed too obvious to me. You know, I'd rather play a game like Apples to Apples where it's a little more harmless and you have to get creative if you want to get weird or dark. Whereas, you know, with, with Cards Against Humanity, it's all just laid out for you. So I just didn't really have an interest in playing it. And who knew I had an opinion on Cards Against Humanity? Who knew I had some sort of some sort of complicated opinion about Cards Against Humanity. But I appreciated what my friend said. You know, I appreciated that she thought of me. I didn't apply. Didn't apply to work for Cards Against Humanity. Um, but uh, speaking of Cards Against Humanity, you know, the first time, I don't know if it was the first time, but the only time that I vividly remember it being played was maybe like four or five years ago. I was at this party... And people were playing it on the floor, and I was just I was just hanging out drinking. And there was this guy who was kind of like he did like medieval music. Like he he would dress up kind of like he's kind of like a chubby guy with a ponytail, blonde ponytail. And I found out that he wears medieval garb and plays medieval instruments at Renaissance fairs, and that his girlfriend is a dominatrix. And he was at this party, and I didn't know them at the time. I learned all of this later. But strangely, when he got to the party, he took... He was barefoot. I don't know I don't know if he came wearing socks and shoes, but when he was at the party, he was barefoot, and his feet were noticeably dirty. And at one point, they had all of the Cards Against Humanity cards... I guess you don't need to say cards twice. It's kind of redundant. The Cards Against Humanity cards... Uh, the cards, um, but uh, the cards were all laid out in the middle of the living room floor, and at one point he had to walk by to get outside, and he walked across all of the cards with his dirty bare feet, and nobody said anything. Nobody said anything, and these were like, when I say dirty feet, it was like you could just see that they had... They had some filth on them and, you know, probably, probably some toe jam. Whatever toe jam is, I'm not even sure. But he was the kind of guy who would have a little bit of toe jam. He looked like the kind of guy, you know, who would have a little bit of toe jam. And uh, so he walked across the Cards Against Humanity, which is maybe what you should do with Cards Against Humanity. You know, when you think about, like, what those stand for, maybe you should walk across them. Maybe you should step on them. Maybe you're meant to do that. The dirtier, the dirtier feet, the dirtier your feet are, the better when it comes to walking across a big pile of cards against humanity cards. But it wasn't until he left the party that my friend brought it up to everybody. He goes, "Hey, uh, did ever did anybody else notice that that guy walked across the cards with his dirty bare feet?" He's like, "I was horrified," and I, I like, he's like, "I wanted to say something." And, you know, I guess I, I was sort of peripherally, peripherally aware of it myself. You know, I, I, was, I remember him walking across the room, but I guess, it, you know, I was drinking and just kind of talking. And, you know, I don't think I really paid as much attention as I should have. Because that's the kind of thing that normally would really stand out. And I would be the one afterwards saying, hey, did anyone notice? So I really appreciate that my friend was there and he, he called it out. He was like, hey, did any, anybody else notice that? And then we ended up having like this half hour long conversation and the host of the party had to explain to us who he was 
and we learned that he was this, you know, this medieval, kind of like a LARPer, and that his girlfriend was a dominatrix, and that he, they have a cage in their house that he gets locked up in. And that made me think that maybe he walked across the cards purposely so that his girlfriend would see it so that she would punish him later and, and maybe lock him in the cage for the night. Because, you know, kinky people like that, they do things like that. So, you know, that was just my theory. My theory is that maybe he, if he wasn't purposely trying to disrespect these evil cards with their evil little messages on them, my guess is that he was doing it knowing that his girlfriend was watching him and that she would lock him in the cage later that night. And the host of the party told us that she went to their house. The first time she went to their house, she said, was for another party. And he was actually locked in the cage the whole night. And it wasn't like a sex party or anything. It was just, he was just in the cage. So it seems to be a performative thing. Um, but anyway, that's all I got to say. That's my Cards Against Humanity story. Never played it. I've just seen a man walk barefoot with his dirty feet across it. A man who would LARP as a medieval bard and get locked in a dominatrix cage when he was bad. Um, that's that's all real. That's all true. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I guess I, I explained Miles and my hologram, holograph idea pretty well, enough to where I feel like the idea is recorded and established, and should it ever come up, I can take credit, half credit, because I would never cut a brother of mine out of, the, out of the dough. If there's money to be made from humiliating dead celebrities by making Jimi Hendrix crawl around like a baby and Kurt Cobain play drums for the Foo Fighters and you know whatever else you want to do. I mean, really, the possibilities are endless, and I feel like I've only used a tiny percent of my brain to, to figure this whole scenario out. We can keep going. We can go so far. I mean, we can use real people. I say that, I say that like rock stars aren't real people, but I mean, we can use like non-musicians. We can use actors. We can use politicians. We can use heroes. And you know, I don't, I don't want to go too far with that right now because the people who are coming to mind the people that we've uh, lionized as social heroes in America. <laughs> you know, I was talking about doing it with Abraham Lincoln. I was talking about having Abraham Lincoln uh, like four score and 20 years ago. Meanwhile, he's just pissing. He's pissing his pants. Because I think part of this idea, I think why I like this idea is that it's like a destroy your idols sort of idea. It's It's a... You know, we do this to celebrities while they're alive, with tabloids, with gossip. And so what's better than doing even worse things to them after they're dead and making their holograms do whatever we want? Making a really buff Kurt Cobain play drums for the Foo Fighters. Making them mess up. <laughs> making them make mistakes. Have them play their most popular songs but hit the wrong chords, hit the wrong notes having their voice crack, having Michael Stipe after he went bald, but give him like a full head of hair and, uh, you know, have his voice crack, 
have him lose his voice mid-song and have to whisper the rest of it. I mean, this is, I'm sick. I'm sick. <laughs> but they're not real people. We're not talking about real people here. We're talking about unethical recreations of dead people. And we certainly do a lot with those people anyway. You know, the way people write about the dead, the things people say about people who are deceased. You know, people do enough of this in their own imaginations. It's a form of fan fiction, even. You know, it's, it's a form of fan fiction. And this is my preferred form of fan fiction. Humiliation. Humiliating holographs. But it's very important with this whole humiliation of celebrity holographs, it's very important that the audience not be clued in beforehand. It's got to be a surprise. They've got to think they're seeing something resembling the real Jimi Hendrix, but in animated holograph form, only to see a child walk out in a wig. And it's not even a real child. It's not even a real child. Although that'd be another funny trick. I mean, I could keep going, but uh, that'd be another funny trick is to tell people they're seeing a hologram of a dead rock star or a dead performer and then have it just be a live cover band with of real people dressed up like them. Be like, we're having John, you're going to come see John Lennon live. We're doing a show. John Lennon is playing Coachella. You going to go see John? You going to go see John at Coachella? It's going to be a holograph, but it's the, it's the closest we'll ever get in our lifetimes. So we're going to go see John. We're going to go see Mr. John Lennon. And then you go there, and it's actually a real man. It's not a holograph. It's a real man dressed up like John Lennon singing his songs. Would you be mad? I mean, I don't know if you could be. Would that be better? Would that be worse? Would it be better or worse to think you were going to go see a hologram and then to end up seeing a cover band or an impersonator, a real flesh, in-the-flesh impersonator? Would that be better or worse? I guess if you wanted to see the technological spectacle, it would be worse. But what if it was a very convincing impersonator? I mean, this is all just real, you know, it's a psychological game. That's all it comes down to. The whole goal of this is to mess with people. At no point should this be about giving people an enjoyable concert experience. At every stage of the game, this is a way to mess with people. So with that in mind, the possibilities are endless. And uh, if we can make this a reality, we'll... Hey, you know, make me a hologram. Make a hologram of me doing whatever you want me to do. I'd feel honored. And I, that's a 180 from how I previously felt. Because when I first saw that they made a hologram of Tupac, my thought was like, I, I would be so upset if they did that to me. Oh my God, I'd be so upset if they did that to me. You know, I, that's how I felt. And now I'm starting to feel like, hey, you know what? It wouldn't be so bad. Because maybe my hologram would be conscious. It would become conscious. It would become self-aware. And it wouldn't be me. 
because I'd be long gone. So it's interesting to think about what my self-aware hologram would do, because it wouldn't be me, but it would be like me. This is the future, though. This is the future that I want to live in. It's the future of comedy. It's the future of performance. And we're only getting started. See you at Coachella. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.